Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to The Lancet Podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, January the 6th. We start off the year with a fascinating series on addiction. Without further ado, let's hear from the guru behind the series, Professor Wayne Hall from the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Professor Hall, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. What was the main motivation and objective of this three-part series? Well, it was a bit of a, pro- a sort of a progress report, I guess, on the global situation with uh, prevalence of use of the most widely used illicit drugs, cannabis, cocaine, amphetamines and opioids, and also to, uh, well, to synthesize and bring together all the data we know on how many people use these drugs, how often and what harms arise from their use in different parts of the world. Paper one, which uh, you're one of the authors of, is crucial here because it sets the scene epidemiologically, doesn't it, in terms of defining the problem. And there isn't time to go into all the detail in this this really important first paper of the series. Can you just give us some some, uh, top-line findings from it? Well, I guess uh, the top-line findings are a lot of people globally have used illicit drugs uh, at some point in the past year somewhere between 149 and 271 million uh, adults uh, in 2009, somewhere between 3 and 6% of all adults aged 15 to 64. And if you look particularly at uh, what, what, which of the drugs uh, are most widely used, as cannabis uh, is well out in front by a long way, somewhere between 125 and 203 million people have used cannabis in the past year, uh, most of those in North America, Western Europe and Oceania, and uh, then followed fairly closely by uh, the amphetamine-type stimulants, uh, methamphetamine or ICE, uh, which has sort of been used by somewhere between 14 and 56 million. Uh, Cocaine, uh, somewhat less commonly used, 14 to 21 million, and then the opioids, which include heroin, somewhere between 12 and 21 million people. So uh, cannabis is the most widely used, but I guess the more interesting uh, sort of finding in terms of harms arising from drug use is that the drug that causes the greatest harm globally uh, of that group is the opioids, uh, particularly heroin. It's responsible for most of the premature deaths. Uh, it uh, produces the highest rates of dependence, uh, and it also contributes uh, when people inject the drug, as they often do, to the spread of bloodborne virus uh, diseases such as HIV, AIDS, and hepatitis C. And how do these addictions and the data you've, you've just discussed, how do they compare with the, with the well-known addictive uh, impacts of uh, alcohol and tobacco? Well, they're a long way behind on the whole uh, tobacco and alcohol, uh, which are much more widely used because they're legal. So if we look at the most recent figures that the World Health Organization produced in 2004 for the contribution of different uh, drug classes to global burden of disease, uh, tobacco was well in front with a, about uh, something over 5 million deaths and about 57 million uh, disability-adjusted life years lost, that is, live with disability. Uh, alcohol was next with about two and a quarter million deaths and about 69 million disability-adjusted life years lost. And the illicit drugs were uh, a fair way behind all of those, about a quarter of a million deaths and about 13 million disability-adjusted life years uh, lost. So the illicit drugs are less commonly used, but uh, account for a fair amount of harm. 
but nowhere near as much as the, the illegal drugs, alcohol and tobacco. Indeed. And just returning to, to the drugs that you studied, can you just give a bit more detail on, on the, the type of impact they have on public health? Yeah, well, the biggest one and the most obvious one in terms of deaths would be overdose deaths from heroin and often used in combination with other drugs. And those deaths typically tend to occur in young adults in their late 20s, early 30s. So there's a lot of uh, life years lost as a consequence of drug overdose deaths. And then there'd be the dependence itself. When people develop opiate dependence, they become and remain dependent for a long period of time. They often develop uh, medical complications that require treatment. They need to be treated for their dependence. And if they uh, acquire bloodborne virus infections, they can develop liver disease or uh, AIDS if uh, they acquire the human immunodeficiency virus. Looking at the other two papers in the series, because, as you say, a progress report with fantastic data, paper one, but of course the crucial thing when it comes to addiction uh, and drugs is policy, the formulation of effective policies. Paper two talks very much about this, doesn't it, about the importance of evidence base because there's a lot of drama and spin and and hysteria often, isn't there, uh, in the media particularly when it comes to drug policy. What's paper two saying? Well, paper two looks at uh, where the evidence is on the effectiveness of the various options that governments have open to them. And I guess if you were to sort of summarise it in in uh, a couple of sentences, uh, in most countries, most of the investment goes into law enforcement attempting to reduce drug supply, criminalising use and deterring people from using by penalising people who use illicit drugs uh, through the criminal justice system. That usually accounts for the largest proportion of uh, government expenditure and it's the the form of intervention for which there's the least evidence um, of effectiveness. I mean, it's clear that making a drug illegal makes it more expensive. The fact that it's illegal discourages a lot of people from using, but you still get people using and those people that do use under the circumstances of uh, illegality often put themselves at greater risk of harm. So that's where a lot of government effort goes. The the next most common and popular approach has been prevention, either mass media campaigns or school-based drug education. And the evidence there, certainly for mass media campaigns, is is not very compelling. There's not a lot of evidence that they do a great deal of good. School-based programs, the best of them have modest effects. A lot of them don't do anything at all or at worst can uh, encourage experimentation. The strongest evidence for any of the government uh, uh, responses is really the treatment of people who are dependent on drugs, and the best evidence is for the treatment of opiate dependence using uh, opiate substitution treatment with drugs such as methadone or buprenorphine. Thanks very much. And just extending that final question, paper three, um, again, Look, looking at policy, but from a, from a global perspective, isn't it? And it's is actually yes. questioning the value. Can you actually? Can we actually, in such a complex world that we have, so many countries, different governments, different policies, is there is there scope for interna- in an international framework or an international policy when it comes to drugs? What does Paper Three say? Paper Three was just pointing out we've really had uh, an international uh, policy for well for 50 years. We've had most countries that are signatories to the single convention on narcotic drugs which requires governments to make it a criminal offence to use any of the illicit drugs, cannabis, cocaine, amphetamines or heroin 
for other than medical purposes. That requires governments to uh, uh, police this law, to penalise and imprison people who break the law, and it encourages governments to put a lot of emphasis on drug law enforcement. So it's not an accident that the most popular policies pursued by most governments have been in the law enforcement area. And the authors of that third paper, uh, Robin Room and Peter Reuter, have asked the question as to whether it was time to think about creating a bit more room for national governments to experiment with different ways of dealing with illicit drugs uh, to see if the current policies are the best ones or there are alternative policies that we could uh, implement that, that might be more effective in reducing the harm arising from the use of these drugs. And what do they conclude? Well, I think the, the main conclusion is that we really have to look hard at uh, allowing comp either changing the treaties to allow for more experimentation or individual countries considering uh, exercising the option of uh, renouncing treaties. That's the sort of jargon term for it, renouncing treaties and then reacceding uh, with reservations. So an example would be what's uh, uh, been done recently, I think, in Bolivia, that they've uh, indicated that they will be renouncing the provision of the uh, single convention which requires them to criminalise the use of coca leaf uh, and the reason being that in that culture there's a, a traditional use of coca leaf by chewing which is very different from smoking crack cocaine or injecting uh, purified cocaine and they're wanting to allow more traditional use uh, without requiring the government to criminalise it. So similar proposals have been made that would enable governments to produce a regulated market, for example, around cannabis, the most widely used illicit drug. And finally, final, final question. With all your experience and years of research in this area, is there an example of one country or a group of countries that you think gets it right when it comes to drug policy? Well, I think different countries do different things better than others. Uh, I think there's quite a few developed countries that have done a reasonable job of reducing the harm arising from the illicit use of opioids. Um, and that's largely been by improved responses to opiate-dependent people, that is, expanding access to opiate substitution treatment, uh, increasing access to clean needles and syringes for injecting, and more outreach services to encourage people who are heroin-dependent into treatment. And that approach, I think, has, has been quite successful in a broad range of countries in Western Europe, Oceania, and North America. We've been less successful, I think, with uh, stimulant drugs. They're a much tougher group of drugs to address. We don't really have uh, fabulously effective treatments for people with those with drug problems uh, arising from the use of stimulants, and it's not as clear what we'd do there. Cannabis, I think, is the tougher one. Uh, it's clearly the drug that's most widely used, and a lot of uh, young people aren't persuaded uh, by the fact that it's illegal. They aren't deterred from using it for that reason. And we do really have to look at whether there might be better ways of regulating the use of cannabis that reduce some of the harms arising from its use. It's a fascinating topic. We could talk all day or all night as you're in Australia uh, about it. But uh, many thanks indeed. So that's uh, Professor Wayne Hall from the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thanks, Richard. And thank you all for listening. See you next time.